This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here. And this week, Josh and I got the chance to sit down with Chris Eccles, founder and CEO of Cyana Education Services, Ed Vera, and Monte Christopher Holdings. We spent a lot of time talking with Chris about a ton of great content on this episode, so make sure you stay tuned through to the end. But early on, we discussed Chris's early career. He'd studied political science and history with an aim to become a politician or get involved in the political space. So here he is talking about just that. There was a time that I thought I wanted to be in politics as the guy, if you will. But that has slowly diminished over time. But I still love it. I still follow it. I'm still involved on any number of levels. But it was probably early in my professional career that I knew I didn't want to do it. Later on, we talk about where the idea came from for Cyana and Advera, which are both software companies operating regulatory software. The idea hit me because I had just left an office in Raleigh with a state regulator that was trying to type in what I had sent. And I realized this makes zero sense. So if we can translate that piece of paper into a piece of software that they can utilize, we have a game changer. So it's marrying compliance, which was the required paperwork, into an online system. And bada boom, bada bing, that's what we have today. We finish up the show talking about what keeps Chris going after a long and already successful career. There's always a clock on every sport, right? There's not a clock in entrepreneurship. There's not a clock. So what moves me is I just love the process. I love building. I also love being with smart people and the team that I'm around. I have an obligation to improve their lives, but I'm excited about building things. Per usual, I want to say thanks so much for tuning into our show. Your support helps keep us going. And if you enjoy content like this, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Let's get on with the interview. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here. And as usual, Josh is here in the booth as well. Josh, how you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, I was driving here. Somebody was driving the wrong way down a one-way road, and that was an experience. And, uh, you know, interesting thing, we always have terrible, kind of nauseating small talk between each other in the beginning of this. Uh Instead of that, I was thinking on the way here, you know what I'm really struggling with today is like, and I don't know if we haven't introduced our guest yet, but I'm going to open this to you too, is... I was sitting there all day and I feel like I accomplished nothing because I was like, I was in the beginning of a certain phase of a project and I just didn't know what to do. You know, Analysis just, paralysis? Oh, I don't even know if I knew what to analyze. You know, right. I just, I knew what my objective was, but I just, it's so much ambiguity right now. I just was uh-huh. spinning in the mud and I, four hours went by and I'm like, I've accomplished absolutely nothing and it's driving me insane. And mm-hmm. I don't know if other people experience that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it was, it's like a... And it's like a nerve wracking. Uh, it's just not a good feeling. It's kind of bad. Yeah. I chase the smart people down. Right. Knock on Get their door. Get them to do something. Please help me. Yeah. I was fresh out of smart. It was me and my dog. And she's definitely, <laughs> she's right. probably smarter than me, but I wouldn't call her smart. I would say 100% is smarter than you. But no, I think that that's a really interesting thing. So for me, right? Like, number one, I'm a procrastinator, big time. Like, I push things off till the last minute, no matter what. Tough. My wife hates it. And, I can't force myself to sit down and do that thinking. And when I try to do that proactive thinking, my brain is like, nah, we're just going to think about something else, right? What about this thing over here? It's like when I'm trying to work on one thing, I get ideas about all the other things that I have on my plate. So you guys are young enough now. Uh And I'll tell you this. I had a wise mentor tell me about second sleep and it hit me when I turned 50. (laughs) And it's during that second sleep. I wake up anywhere between mm, 245, 345. Mm -hmm. And I have about an hour of clarity. 
And I work and I sit up and that's why my wife had divorced me a while back mm. because I sit up and do some work. And it's during that time that I find real peace and clarity. And <laughs> then divorce. I go back to I sleep. I like that phrase. We love each other. We've been married 20, it'll be 25 years this Congratulations. year. Congratulations. Love you, honey. But it has changed my life, that whole thing. And the second, second sleep, sleep huh? and the second sleep is the best sleep. You get the dreams and the visions. And so anyway, age is not so bad. The mind doesn't change. The body does a little bit, but I that's where you. I find those yeah, those solutions for I those have, problems. I have, that's interesting. I sometimes I'll take short, I'll put like my head on my desk and take like a 15 minute nap in the day and I have to have that. And then I wake up and I kind of be revigorated. But I've, I've read articles about that whole second sleep thing. Like it was, it was four and four, right? It's like to break it up and you do four and four. And they used to have, I think the article I read said though, they would have them bring them beers. It was like they would drink alcohol at that point and then they would go back to sleep again. So I think that's called like- yeah, a, I don't, That doesn't seem good. Yeah. But generally you know. I'm, I, I've had the alcohol before the second sleep. Well, okay. Seems like a good time to introduce our guest. You've been hearing his voice here on the show, but today joining us, we have Chris Eccles and he's the founder and CEO of Cyana Education Services, a full circle educational consulting firm focused on building and improving institutions of higher learning. They've also got a software product that we'll talk about more here soon, but out of the company, he's also the founder of Edvera, a software company as well that sprung up out of some of the regulatory challenges Chris and his team saw from their clients in the education space. And finally, He's the co-founder of Monte Christopher Holdings, a holding company that owns and operates both Cyana and Edvera, as well as several other ventures. So we're excited to talk with Chris today about his entrepreneurial journey, Cyana Education Services, Edvera, Monte Christopher, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast, Chris. Great to be with you guys. Yeah. And we've already kind of started chatting, but one of the first places we like to start as we get into the interview is just give us a little background on yourself, your story, kind of how you got to where you are today as, as far back as, you know, before the show, we were talking, hey, you haven't always lived in Columbus, so, but you were born here, right? Actually, I was born on an army base in okay. Heidelberg, Germany. There you proud, go. Proud that my dad uh, served in the army. I joke all the time that uh, I was born when there was an east and a west Germany, mm -hmm. and thankfully we were born on the right side. But suffice to say, my upbringing was in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Yeah. My uh, folks were from Parkersburg, West Virginia, and my dad worked for IBM. And they located the Columbus because that was the closest place to Parkersburg, West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Had a great, great childhood in Reynoldsburg. And I would say that where I am today, my first entrepreneurial experience was we just always hustled. My brother and I always hustled, but I didn't even know the word entrepreneur until mm -hmm. I was older. But had a paper route for eight years. In other words, between 12 and the time I left high school, did it for eight years mm -hmm. and handed it off to my brother. And he did it another year or two after that. So it's been a, an interesting retrospective since I've moved back to Ohio. Yeah. And what age were you when you when you went from Germany back to Ohio? My parents were there for five years. I was born the last year, so I don't have any recollection yeah. of it. I was there a year. So and you they came back to you the States. You don't speak any German, huh? Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Uh, Sprechen Sie Deutsch ein bisschen. Ah, okay. Oh, that was a good accent, too. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I appreciate my it. I did take German in high school, and my name was Klaus. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That's all I remember. I was a Spanish that. guy, right? Michele was uh, my Spanish name, but- Awesome. We, don't, we don't want to relive Mike's high school and college memories. So you, so what was 50 <laughs> years? So you get done with high school and you take off and then you go to college. You keep the entrepreneurial journey going. No, I, I go uh, right into college. I go to a small private school down in Jefferson City, Tennessee, outside Knoxville. Go to Carson mm -hmm. Newman College okay. and study history and poli sci. 
I was excited about that because actually I wrestled in high school mm -hmm. with a buddy of mine who was a year older than me. His dad went there. He went there. I wanted to have an experience outside of Ohio. Sure. And they also had a semester in D.C. I was a big poli-sci political fan, mm -hmm. government relations, and that's what drew me to Carson Newman. What made you want to get into politics? Because it sounds like you were kind of heading that direction. Man, I'll, I'll tell you, I was always riveted by headlines, but mm -hmm. I also will tell you, a guilty thing was Michael J. Fox and yeah. uh, when he was Alex P. Keaton and mm -hmm. uh, his show where he was buttoned up and his parents were liberal and he was a big conservative. I kind of was drawn to that and I had some similarities. I just kind of always followed it. It's weird how that whole scenario is flipped today now, right? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, so at what point did you realize and what made you realize, you know, maybe politics and this avenue isn't where I want to go? Well, it, I'm still involved, mm -hmm. but there was a time that I thought I wanted to be in politics right. as the guy, if you will. Mm -hmm. But that has slowly diminished over time. But I still love it. I still follow it. I'm still involved on any number of levels. But it was probably early in my professional career that I mm -hmm. knew I didn't want to do it. Sure. Makes sense. Okay. Like when you get out of college, where do you go? What do you do? Are you getting a job or are you going? No, I knew I wanted to go to law school since like first or second grade. Mm -hmm. So I went uh, from college to law school, but I graduated a semester early and went to work. The best thing I ever did, I became a runner because mm -hmm. I was early a December graduate and my dad was selling IBM equipment to one of the law firms here in Columbus and got in as a runner. Mm -hmm. Learn the court system is the most valuable thing I ever did. Mm -hmm. I clerked three years after that, but I learned more about the court system and the practice of law doing, doing the, runner. the running and learning the courts and the people. It was fascinating. So are you like, as a runner, are you running subpoenas to people? Are you going out like... Well, this is before the internet, guys, you yeah. know? So this is where we're actually getting timestamps on paper, yep. go to the bailiff and make sure you have enough copies, mm -hmm. getting those and then filing them and... Also taking stuff to other law firms and what have you get to know people. Yeah. You know, that's when you could touch and feel, shake hands. Build a relationship. A yeah. Yeah. And that was here in Columbus. Uh, it was. Yeah. And then you go to law school here in Columbus. Capital, well? Capital University Law School when that was in German Village. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you finish up law school and it, leading up to this, were your parents entrepreneurial? Not at all. I take that back. It's funny you say that. My mom in anticipation of my brother and I going to college, started a cleaning business when we were in high school. Interesting. And I remember being kind of mortified about that. You know, forgive me, mom, because I look back on it. It was like, how daring of her and a neighbor friend of hers that said, let's just go clean houses and make some extra money. Mm -hmm. And that paid for my brother and I's our school. Yeah. You know, and it was fascinating. My dad always had a job with IBM. My entire life, he worked for IBM or a business partner of IBM. And I would give my mom credit for actually being entrepreneurial from that perspective. I, I, it just hit me today. Yeah. Right now. Thank you. There you go. That. That's well, what yeah. we're here for. Did a good job. <laughs> so you finish up law school and then how do things unfold? Are you still passionate about law at that point? No. A lot of people get done with law school no, and they're not no, passionate. No, no. In fact, I wasn't even passionate about law during law school, I realized I was fascinated with being an attorney. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you to this day, I find it to be so valuable that I have that. Sure. It has, you know, I was in-house counsel for the last company I ever worked for, mm -hmm. but it has 
provided so much cover mm-hmm. for not only the company, because I still manage outside counsel yeah. for my own companies, but I never wanted to be an attorney. Right. Right. I think so. It's interesting that you say that because like if I had kids someday ask like going to college and they didn't know what they wanted to do, but they knew they wanted to go to college and just get any degree, I'd say be an accountant, or go be a lawyer. Because those two things are going to be assets to you regardless of what you do in life. So it's funny. My oldest is a sophomore at Otterbein mm-hmm. and she has aspirations of following in my footsteps and studying business and going to law school. And I said, please take accounting. Yeah, <laughs> because I, I always joked that I went to law school because there's no math. Right. Right. <laughs> so, right. You know, but now I learn I can count. I can count yep. money. And I sure as heck wish I could have uh, understood uh, the accounting and uh, mm-hmm. balance sheet and income statements earlier than not. And sometimes circumstances force you to learn a lot faster. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, yeah, if you're entrepreneur minded out there and you getting ready to go to school, you have folks that are asking you like that. I mean, 100 percent accounting. And uh, number one, yeah, accounting, no, number one, just understanding for, the fundamental understanding of the numbers of a business, right? It's the language of a business. So, so when do we get to Cyana and like the point at which you start thinking, I want to start my own company and what triggered that? So speaking of politics, I opened up a little shingle, worked with an older attorney mm-hmm. for a while, but I was not passionate about it. And then I happened to have a relationship in Florida and they told me about an opening for an association for the first time, they need somebody to open up a government relations department. Okay. So went to Orlando and opened up the government relations department for the printing association of Florida. Mm-hmm. And I was back in government relations, quasi lobby mm-hmm. and worked with the association. We got a couple pieces of legislation passed for the printers unanimously through the house. This is back in the hanging Chad days. I don't know if you guys know this, the, uh, George W. Bush and Mm -hmm. Al Gore controversy down there. Mm -hmm. But after that, on Monster.com, my resume was found after three years by a company with a dot-com. And I went and did an interview down in South Florida, drove down on a Friday, came back, told my wife, I accepted this job. We are going to kill it. I'm going to hit the back end of this dot-com. Boom. Uh Uh-oh. The back end. Oh, the back end. (laughs) No, no. I mean, honey, I got stock options. (laughs) <laughs> she goes, like, when are you starting? I said, Monday. She's like, what? Are you going to Milwaukee on Monday? And I said, yeah, I'll front it. I'll get reimbursed. So I start. I leave her down there. I, they hired me to open up an office in D.C., but mm-hmm. please start in Milwaukee. We'll put you in a corporate housing. We'll move your wife over to D.C. when you're ready to transition. I got a sinking suspicion. I know what year we're in. Yes, you do. Because <laughs> six days later, 9-11. Yeah. But I will tell you, that's when my wife came to Milwaukee with me because the move was suspended. I was not mm-hmm. opening up a D.C. office anytime soon. But mm-hmm. she came and we were living in corporate housing. I think I gained 20 pounds mm-hmm. the month or six weeks I was away from her because you can eat and drink a lot in Milwaukee, by the way. But that's how I got into education. Yeah. I went to work for a, a company that was in the education space and took on venture mm-hmm. and cut my teeth on that. We just mentioned 9-11, so I don't think I've ever mentioned this before to you, Josh, but the offices, the Pentagon that were hit in 9-11, my dad had been stationed in those offices like two years before that. Wow. Those same offices, exactly the same ones. So That's wild. Were they targeting a particular area of the building? No, nah, they just wanted to hit the – I mean, I don't know for sure. It, it's hard to miss that building. Right. I but, mean, it's such, a, it's such a huge, huge complex that people don't realize how big it mm-hmm. is. Yeah, the Pentagon's a – 
Massive building. Massive. Sorry, we're getting distracted. So, so 2001, you're in Milwaukee. We're in Milwaukee till what year? I was there a year, just shy of a year. And they actually allowed us to go to D.C. So we did transfer over to D.C. and help them open up an office there. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately went to the headquarters that was transitioned from Milwaukee to Austin, Texas. And this was a company called Tech Skills at the time. Tech Skill, what were they, what were they doing in the education space? So they had taken on venture funding and blew up to about 30 campuses in 17 states. And when I went to work for them, they were dealing with revocation hearings because they had a model of high volume, low utilization. Mm-hmm. So it's like a gym membership. Hey, pay us. And if you want to use it, you can use it. But it's like me. I'm a great gym member because I pay every month, but I never show up. Right. <laughs> so the reality is we had to help them and turn them into a real school because that model was not consistent or actually legal in most jurisdictions. Sure. And so that's how we cut our teeth on state regs. And the rest is history because during that time is how I came up with the concept of Cyana. Okay. It's just marrying compliance with technology. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies. It grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. Then tell us more about that. So what year does the idea come up? When does it come to fruition? And then what was the idea? What problem are you solving? So at the time, I'm responsible for 30 campuses in 17 states, right? Mm -hmm. So this is when you're receiving or printing off paper forms. Right. And either filling them out with black ink or blue ink, whatever they require. And some of them require either one or typing it into an application, putting three holes in the paper, put it in a binder and shipping it off in a box. Mm -hmm. And then you just wait. Multiple so, copies, so you know, I, the whole, yeah. Oh, it's just like, and then you go to the state regulatory agency and you see that the stack, Yep. where do you fall in that stack? And it's truly, it's like. What's crazy about that is that it's, it, as a holdover from that, there are still RFPs in the education space that require multiple binders in triplicate, multiple copies, right? Like. There's the, agencies yeah, even wild. outside of education that still, they think they've hit the modern age by saying, you can now download a PDF off our website. Right. I mean, seriously? It's wild. It's crazy. So the year, you asked about the year. I started in September of 01. The idea, we got them out of trouble. We got them accredited in about the 2004, 2005 timeframe. And that was during a trip in in North Carolina between either Raleigh and Greensboro or Raleigh and Charlotte that the idea hit me because I had just left an office in Raleigh with a state regulator that was trying to type in what I had sent. And I realized this makes zero sense. So if we can translate that piece of paper into a piece of software that they can utilize, we have a game changer. So it's marrying compliance, which was the required paperwork, into an online system. And bada boom, bada bing, that's what we have today. How did you bring that to life? 
So it took some time. I tried to sell the idea to my employer. So when I got, we got them out of trouble, I essentially gained the trust and, and had some relationships in the state agencies. I would go to this association called NASAPS, which is the National Association of State Administrators and Supervisors of Private Schools. At the time, they didn't let any schools there. I was invited by regulators in North Carolina to say, okay, come to the group because everybody that you work with is going to be at one location. So got to know them, tried to sell the idea. They thought I was crazy. I knew it would work. So I left and my former employer became my first client and then immediately started building the software that would take those applications and put them online. And then we kind of tried to build a monolith where we would build the school solution and the regulatory solution on one code base. And that's why today we kind of abandoned that. And mm -hmm. now there's a separate company called Edvera. That's the regulatory side of things. And Cyana has within it, we're still a consultancy, but within that is a software called Edlumina that manages school function. And I'm guessing that those systems talk to each other in some way. Or are they completely separate? Like They are completely separate, separate code bases now. But now, you know, this magic thing called API, sure. some of that stuff can go seamlessly into that. It's funny. I was just describing API to one of our new employees today. I uh, see it. I'm you know, board, we were yeah. up here talking about how an API works and what you can do with it. So, yeah, just a simple little plug-in, right? Allows your software to plug in other it's things. It's fascinating. It's really cool. It's almost yeah. like a translator, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And we just we just found some interesting programs. Obviously, there's tools like Zapier out there that can help you yep. do some more advanced stuff. But we found one called Cycler, I think it's called, that they're really excited about. It says it's going to help us build integrations way faster. But beside the point. So these companies kind of build up, right? But what does the go-to-market look like? Are you selling this yourself? Do you start to build a team around it? Like, can you walk us through that? So the, the interesting thing is that the software is a byproduct of the consultancy. Mm -hmm. So in 08, it'll be 15 years in March. So we're less than a month away from our 15th anniversary mm -hmm. of Cyan Education Services. The go-to-market was me walking the streets of New York with recommendations from my friends in Albany who are regulators. Now, mm -hmm. they say they can't recommend people and what have you, but they can say it's a vouch for somebody, right? And so that's how I kind of built the company. To this day, New York is still a large bastion of our consultancy and a lot of our clients. So a lot of the folks that use the software come to us through regulatory help. Mm -hmm. We're state regulatory experts. You have like my company that I started with, didn't know they were regulated. So you get a knock on the door and said, hey, you're in violation, we're gonna kick you out or you comply. How the heck do I comply? Well, you gotta understand what you have to file. And that's what we were experts at. And so regulation of what, I think that's the piece that I'm still missing here to put the puzzle together. I'm not as privy to that sector. So. Everything from cosmetology to computer training, mm -hmm. all of the non-degree stuff or vocational training, that's where I started. All of that has rules, laws, and regulations that are defined by each jurisdiction. Like licensing to some Licensing, extent? yep. So if you want to start, and it's really triggered by, I want to charge you to get a job. I'm going to give you the skills to get a job. Mm -hmm. I'm marketing that you're going to elevate your career. Right. That Back triggers it. And then you have to file and get approved. The curriculum gets approved. The location gets approved. The content gets approved. It's online. That gets approved. And then you're regulated. And then you have to disclose things on a yearly basis. So is this for accreditation? How do you say that word? Accreditation. Accreditation. Yeah. But that's the next step. So right. accreditation is the gatekeeper to the funding right. of Title IV funding. Yeah. So there's regulations besides what it would take to get accredited. 
And yep. then to get accredited is like another level. Mm-hmm. But then you get Title IV funding. So you can. It depends. There's nuances. Not to, if you're a for-profit institution, but well, you can on for-profit. Okay, you can as well. Interesting. All right, we're getting into a whole bunch of stuff here. But so, okay, what were the biggest turning points in your mind if you could look back on it? Well, a lot of the turning points. If I look back on my first client was my former employer. My former employer is no longer in existence. Mm-hmm. I had originally two business partners. I do not have those two business partners anymore. There is not one person that started developing the software that is with me to this day. Mm-hmm. I have a former CTO that helped me bring that software back mm-hmm. from a software's hard, man. Yep. Software's never on time and never on budget. That's how I joke. It's not easy. And so he left me. He's still around to this day, but he got a better offer when Root was raising money and they had all kinds of money to throw at really talented developers. But there has been challenges throughout. Mm -hmm. It's really, how do you just overcome it? Mm -hmm. You know you have a clear vision. And even even today, I still feel like we're a new company. We're going to be 15 years old. But we have so many exciting things that we're trying to get off the ground and continue to build momentum. And I can't tell you, I could keep rattling off another hundred mm-hmm. challenges and turning points. Sure. Well, how big is the company? Like how many employees do you have now? So under the umbrella and Cyan is the biggest flagship, we have about uh, between 40 and 45. So FTE decent size. Funds. And just customers and clients here in the U.S.? No. So I was thinking about this today as, you know, seven continents. I think we've worked and or been involved with clients in every continent except for Antarctica. Nice. Antarctica, please call. Yeah, where are all those people? I'm sure they we, have to educate somebody in there. Is yeah, the penguins have, down we there? Have, we have a huge listening base there too. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you continue to grow. What does that future look like? Where do, you, where do you want to go from here? What's that plan? Obviously, we've got Monte Christopher Holdings. I'll keep wanting to say Monte Cristo. Interestingly enough, uh-huh. it's because my business partner's name is Todd Londot, but his legal first name is Monty. Uh-huh. My first legal name is Christopher, Christopher but I was Monte getting Christo. ready to light a Monte Cristo cigar. There you go. And I looked at it and I go, love a good cigar. Who doesn't? Yeah. I don't know. And I call him up and said, Monte Christopher. And he mm-hmm. goes, I love it. And the rest is history. Monte Christopher Holdings. And so, and, and that company, you've got some other ventures outside of these two as part of that company. So where do you see yourself going from here? Are you involved super heavily in the day-to-day of Cyana and Advaris still, or do you see yourself kind of continue to like focus on that Holdings company and building up? finding other investments, things like that. So I, the last couple of years, Todd and I were building the holding company. We also mm-hmm. have Monte Christopher Real Estate. It's a mm-hmm. separate holding company for real estate. I was building that the last couple of years and I have just reemerged back with Cyana because we have some major initiatives that we want to tackle, inclusive of building out our student information system, but we also are aggressive in building a proprietary learning platform, mm-hmm. which is the moniker's LMS, Learning Management System. Yep. We call it a DLP, Discovery Learning Platform, and we're excited about. We've been investing the last three years in virtual and XR technology, Mm -hmm. but we have a virtual reality metaverse that we are building out wherein you can customize your campus. Hmm. We're going to tie that in. We tie it in already. Data already speaks to our student information system, and I, I believe we're the first to market with something like that. Anyone can challenge me on that. But suffice to say, we're excited about where the future is going. Mm-hmm. And so you were, you were saying that's on the Advera side. On the other no, side. No, that that's the Cyana Edluma Cyana side. Edluma. Okay. And Advera yeah. is doing more of the consulting still? No, Advera is not a consultancy. It's simply a platform, a SaaS solution for regulatory agencies. 
So it's taking those former pieces of paper and putting them into an online format wherein Mm -hmm. not only the agency can manage their clients, which are their regulatory entities, and that started in the education space, and that's how we got our foothold. But now we've expanded. That's what I'm excited about. That that's been expanded beyond just education. Now we have nursing boards. Mm-hmm. We have. We just met with the commerce department yeah. recently, so it can handle anything. It's a document workflow process. Mm-hmm. How much of your time is focused on that business? Any of it? I have my tentacles in everything mm-hmm. at a high level. I am more immersed today in the cyana side of things, but you know, it never stops. I was dealing with uh, some real estate today. Mm -hmm. I've dabbled with our media company, Scholar House Media. We just recently sold a manufacturing company at the first of the year. So that came up meeting with my accountant today. So it touches on everything. Yeah. So I'm curious, Chris, what keeps you going? Because it feels like to me that you've probably had some success and that you could probably, if you wanted to step back and live a pretty good lifestyle and just kind of do whatever you want. But so what keeps you kind of coming back to this and going and continuing and pushing and expanding? You know, it's like you guys wrestled. There's always a clock on every sport, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a clock in entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. There's not a clock. So what moves me is I just love the process. I love building. I also love being with smart people and the team that I'm around and the I have an obligation to improve their lives, but I'm excited about building things. I feel more jazz today than I did. We were talking, you, you're going to be 30 this next week, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I was 30 yesterday. You're outing me to the people. Yeah, I'm you're a baby. You're a baby. <laughs> I'm in my 50s now. And it's like, I shake my head. I remember my folks saying, oh, the mind doesn't change. Well, you know, the reality is it's true, mm-hmm. but I'm more jazz than ever. I mean, I love being here with you guys. Seriously. I'm honored that you even invited me that I get an opportunity to tell the story, but the fact that you guys are doing it yourselves. And I love the story, how you guys did this, the kind of network. Yeah, appreciate that. And it's been great talking to you as well, Chris. I think that might actually be a good place to kind of head towards some of our last questions of the show here as we start to wrap up. Josh, you got anything before we uh, head towards our- uh, I've got nothing. Yeah, our typical ending. So a couple things. <laughs> we got a typical, a uh, couple last questions we always like to ask. The first one is, do you have an advice for our listeners? Give you some background, our listeners are- mostly in Columbus area, about 90% in the greater Columbus region. They're curious about entrepreneurship and what folks are doing, how people became successful. So any advice for them? So I'm not a big verbal advice kind of guy. I learn more visually and I always like following people that I admired or I was curious at how they attained something. There's a lot of you know phrases that people will get motivated by, but I'm always motivated by action more than anything. I personally don't have anything to tell you outside of just be prepared. Mm -hmm. Like know what going into a venture 50-50 means because, you know, you don't wear a seatbelt because you know you're getting in a wreck. Mm -hmm. You are wearing it in anticipation of a wreck. So make sure you have an exit strategy that if you're best of buddies with somebody and you jump into a game of entrepreneurship or you start something, you know, Business is business and personalities and personal relationships are separate from that. Be prepared. It's not always easy, but if you're built for it, it's the greatest ride Mm -hmm. you can ever have. It makes a ton of sense. You know, a good operating agreement started the business can really help save your butt in a lot of ways along the way. It's the rules of the game. So I think that brings us to our last question of the show, Chris. It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. 
So without telling you too much about why we chose that phrase for a show about entrepreneurs, business leaders, people who are really leading in their fields, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Listen, you do whatever's necessary, right? So the first thing that comes to mind is you don't eat until everyone else is eaten. Mm -hmm. And I've been there. I've never missed a payroll in my life. And I'm proud of that. But I'll tell you what, people don't know that I've missed my own payroll to make sure that everyone else got paid. And you have to be willing to make sacrifices. And it doesn't have to be public. And it can be subtle. But the reality is the rewards are at the end of the game. And uncomfortable means you suffer for a minute, but glory's on the other side. Yeah, love it. Our uh, Ohio State wrestling coach, Tom Ryan, he called it purposeful suffering, right? Suffering with a purpose. And, and he always he said, are you guys ready to suffer today before practice all the time? So makes we Thanks. were never ready, though. No, I was never <laughs> so. ready. I didn't like suffering. In the end, he was right. So, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. We've been great talking to you. And, it's a uh, pleasure meeting you guys. Josh and Mike, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Best and of luck. Thank you. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that episode, that was Chris Eccles. And if you want to learn more about his companies, you can go check out... MontyChristopher.com. There you go. MontyChristopher.com. And if you want to hear more interviews just like this one, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening on. We release every week. Thanks so much for tuning in and all your support. We'll talk to you soon.